Praise Jesus. Thank you. Glory to God. Well, I pray that the Word of God through sound has already impacted your spirit, man. It's already altering your thinking, and uh, your hearts are prepared to receive the Word of God. And you are ready to not just receive it, but to keep it and hold it and incubate it and let it grow in your heart so that you may enjoy the very life that the Word of God brings you. Hallelujah. That's the, that's the good thing about serving Jesus is that He's alive. And His words are alive in us every day. Hallelujah. And so I pray that the words of God will be alive to you and in you and for you as we minister the word this morning. Amen. Amen. Do you receive that? Yes. Good. Well, tell, turn around and just greet somebody. Say, hello, I'm glad you're in church today. That was awesome sound and song. You can be seated, guys. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> hello. 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 <laughs> Glory to Jesus. Looks like more people in this church went on holiday before holiday started. And they're back already. Praise the Lord. Next Sunday is Christmas, so we're going to have a wonderful time, Christmas Day. And there's no excuse for you to stay away because it's Sunday. (laughs) Yeah. It did work. Praise the Lord. So I trust you're ready for the word this morning. Hierdie goeie morgen, ochend, sondag, ochend. Goeie, genichtig, maar jylle like goed vir ochend, jong. Baie deftig, uitgevat en mooi gesichte. En ek sien jylle, jylle, alles van jylle bewersomme van die heilige gees. Halleluja. Glory, hallelujah. <laughs> and all the Afrikaners, he said, for all the come the Himmels tal now out. <laughs> Just don't ask me to start speaking Kosa or Zula or something like that, you know. Not yet. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Well, uh, it's important for me to start off this message today by asking you how you think a God is created. Not the God, a God. How do you think a God is created? So a God is created by the choice and the will of men. How do I know that? Well, from the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden, the the enemy of God came up to them, the devil, Satan, he came up to them, and he asked them, did God say? And so when they gave the, the wrong answer and they chose to put their will above the will of God, Effectively, their will 
chose themselves to be God. Don't look so stunned. You know this already. Their will put their will put themselves equal to God. So they created the first God other than God on the earth through the choice of their will. They created a God. So if we talk about, in the Bible, if we talk about gods that are worshipped, it's because men have created idols or false gods or other gods that they choose to worship as a reason of their choice, not because God made them gods. Men have made them gods, and to be sure, they used the influence of the one who wanted to be worshipped as the alternative god to the most high god, Satan, Lucifer. He influences them through their own desires and their own passions to create gods. Yes? So, come, let's reason together for a minute this morning. What do you think are the kinds of gods, I mean, this is not complicated, what do you think the kinds of gods are that men have created for themselves? Sport? Money? Anything else? Entertainment? Power? Prestige? All, all manner of things that you can think of that are in the earth that are alternatives, uh, man has created for themselves. So let's take something that, that you and I may not think is a, is a God, but let's just take somebody who works 16 hours every day because they want to achieve. Do you think work becomes their God? Because they've made no place for the Most High God. And they don't do it because they want to worship the Most High God. They do it because they want achievement. They want the results of their labor and their intelligence and their opportunity and whatever else might be attached to that. So that can become a God. But in our modern day world, if somebody's working 16 hours a day to achieve, Nobody will say, you're worshipping the God of work or self-achievement. They will say, keep going, boy. You got your values in the right way. The harder you work, the better you're going to do. Yes? Like somebody mentioned, sport has become a God. And so, all you, I, I tell you what, all you've got to do is this afternoon is when the Soccer World Cup final is played, watch the fans in the stadium. Watch them if they're not dancing and worshipping. I mean, uh, you know, there are some guys that they even, they even uh, when one of their heroes comes around, they even go like this. I mean, they actually say, you know, you're the god of soccer or the god of rugby or whatever it is. They actually do that. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, a known, it's a fact that this is, there are alternative gods in the earth. 
And they're created by men. They're not, they're not some, just some weird thing that one day God decided. Why do you think abortion and the right to abortion has become such a big deal? The reason it's become such a big deal is because men do not want to take the responsibility of life. They only want to have the, the, the capability of, of doing acts of immorality without responsibility. And so always the argument for abortion comes up, well, what about the, the person who's been raped? And so they take an, in, an entire value system and moral system and they reduce it to a marginal viewpoint of rape. You know, um, and that's so that the God, the God that wants you to offer up children to Him can do so without, uh, without knowing that actually you're offering up your children, the children, the newborn babies, you're offering them up as sacrifices to a God. Yeah. So, if we recognize and understand that the world that we live in is full of God worship, it's full of idolatry, the Bible often calls it idolatry, I'm just using these words today, God worship, different kinds of gods to worship, well, then you can understand how important it is for us to make decisions for our lives that are for the Most High God and continually make that decision for the Most High God. Hallelujah. How many of you have ever had an experience where uh, it doesn't happen so much today because they tend to catch you with cameras? so that you get the surprise in the post or email or whatever it is. I don't think we have a postal system anymore. I think everything is by ear post. Yeah. But uh, so you get a WhatsApp or you get a message or you get an email and it tells you you've got a surprise picture that's been taken of you speeding. And, uh, but how many of you have been ever in your life going too fast, and then somebody jumps out in the middle of the road, and uh, your heart sinks. And then you say to yourself, I should not have been speeding. I should not have been going so fast. Stupid. What was I thinking? Well, if you were faced with the same choice again, you would speed again. Because the only reason you changed your mind is because you got caught. And the penalty of getting caught is a horrible thing. Yeah? Well, many, 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 most people, the enemy has been able to fool humanity into saying there is no consequence. Because your consequence has... Uh, you can always manage the consequence somewhere down the line. So that's why credit cards are so popular, and that's why credit as a whole is so popular. 
And that's why having an immoral lifestyle is popular because somehow people feel like they can, they can skirt around and they can manage the consequences. I'll tell you what though, God is not mocked. And uh, he says clearly in his word that if you sow to the flesh, you will from the flesh reap death and destruction. But if you sow to the spirit, you will from the spirit reap life. And uh, that's, that's an important thing for us to remember. Jesus preached two very long sermons in the Bible. He preached the longest sermon that was recorded in the Bible was Matthew chapter 5, which um, begins with the, the blessed are those. And it's the longest written, recorded sermon that Jesus preached that we know of. The second longest sermon that he preached was on the back of a question that his disciples asked him as they were walking out of the temple. And uh, in Matthew chapter 24, which I've been ministering on, Jesus went out and departed from the temple and his disciples came to him, uh, came up to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, do not, you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. And then he sat on the Mount of Olives with the disciples privately and he began to preach. He began to teach. He began to give them a discourse about the future. Uh, I want to just give you two things that happened in this prophecy. This part of the, of the discourse that Jesus gave occurred 70 years, 70 AD. So Jesus around this time was 33 years old. And uh, I began to say to you, and I, I was teaching you last week and the week before, the scripture that says, tell us when all these things will be uh, and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age. And then he goes on to say, watch out, you'll be deceived. There are two things that happened. Jesus talked about the stones of the temple will not be left standing one after the other. Exactly one generation later, less than, well, in the 40th year after Jesus was crucified, a man who had aspirations to become the emperor, the king of Rome, if you like, he marched into Jerusalem and he committed all manner of evil atrocities on the Jewish people. And he literally, after he plundered and took thousands of Jews into slavery, he literally burned and broke down the temple to the point where archaeologists that's, that uh, have done extensive studies on the temple literally find only one remaining stone and fragments of, of other parts of the stones of the temple. And Jesus said, not one stone will be remaining upon another stone. They literally could not and have not been able to find two stones from the temple. Only one, one stone and remaining bits of stones that came from the temple. Because of how Titus the emperor decimated the temple. That prophecy 
or this teaching by Jesus was 100% fulfilled in one generation. In one generation. Do you remember that when Jesus was being crucified or, or, or Pilate was offering them Barabbas or Jesus, they all shouted, we want Jesus, you know, give us Barabbas, crucify Jesus. And then they all shouted, let the, his blood be on our hands. And so it was. Less than 40 years later, all the Jews that were alive at that time were killed or taken into slavery by the Roman emperor or the future Roman emperor. And people think, you know, in a, in a time of frenzy when everybody's together and such was the people pressure that even the strongest disciples, namely Peter, he, he betrayed Jesus under people pressure of frenzied crowds that were ready to kill and destroy just about everybody. That prophecy has been fulfilled. The rest of the prophecy and the teaching that happens in Matthew chapter 24 has not yet occurred. If you remember last week, I said to you, say this, say this after me, it's not yet happened, it's not yet come. The time is not yet. Remember? The time is not yet. And so there's a whole bunch of things that, that happen that Jesus talks about. And uh, he, he talks about great tribulation that's going to happen. And uh, he talks about many things that, that will occur. He says there's going to be great, uh, there will be false prophets, false Christs, false prophets will occur. There will be famines, there will be earthquakes, there will be many things that will happen on the earth, and the time is not yet. But when these things begin to increase, then you can know that Whatever is going to occur at the end of the age, occur at the end of the age, uh, might be coming close. Which is why I've never really wanted to preach much on the subject, because as I've said to you previously, just about anybody I've ever heard preach on the subject has always got the data wrong, or they've put an emphasis on something that is more, uh, it's more about Look at what's happening in the world today. So, <clears throat> one of the things that happens, and I'm just going to, I'm going to just skip through these, and then I'm going to come back to talk about one or two of these issues today. Uh, Jesus talks about the parable of the fig tree, and he says, uh, when the fig tree blossoms, uh, you know that summer is near, so also when you see all these things that you know it's near. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will no means pass away till all things, these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. Well, that fig tree blossom is symbolic of Israel coming back as a nation and bearing fruit as a nation. 
And so that generation would be 40 years. And so when Israel became a, gener uh, became a, a nation again and received nation status in 1948, people began to count the clock. And so then when he didn't come, when the thing didn't happen after 1988, then people say, well, it wasn't the Roman calendar, it was the Hebrew calendar, and that calendar is different to, so that's why he didn't come then. And so the date kept shifting to accommodate the end of the age or that generation passing away. Well, here we are in 2022, going in 2023. It's long past that, and many people that taught this didn't actually get it right. Verse 36 says, But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also will be coming, will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And did not know it until the flood came and took them all away, so also will, be, will the coming of the Son of Man be. Now, I mean, uh, it, it's hard to imagine the catastrophe and the chaos that occurred when the floods hit the earth, when Noah was around. If you can imagine... People were watching Noah build an ark, and he had all these dimensions, and why would people ever have to build a boat those days? The earth was extremely fruitile and very productive, and people lived very comfortably from all the things that the earth yielded and provided. It was, uh, the earth had not yet been filled with all of the, the sin of men, and so the earth was productive. They didn't need to go fishing with boats. They didn't know what boats were. So when Noah started to build an ark, they wondered what this contraption was. And they, they, they mocked him, and they said all kinds of weird things about Noah. What's he doing? What's he doing? What's he doing? Okay. They kept on marrying. Obviously, why must we stop for one nut job and his family? You know, we're going to carry on lives. We're going to eat. We're going to drink. We're going to be merry. We're going to marry. We're going to give in marriage. We're going to continue our lives as normal. So we don't have to change anything because Noah's building an ark. Well, they didn't know that Noah had favor before God because he was a, he was a man who feared God. And so, when the time came, they must have marveled at an event that they began to see unfolding before them, where all the animals were just making their way to the ark, and these animals kept coming into the ark. And they must have thought, well, this is quite a strange thing happening, all of these animals coming into just, and they're just showing up at the ark. What do you think Noah did? He went looking out the whole earth for many years, herding animals, no, God spoke to those animals and told them to humba, you know, get into that ark. 
And those animals, they just made their way over there and Noah did his job and herded them into the ark. And these people must have been watching what's going on. And uh, well, the day came when God said, let's shut this ark up and uh, it's going to start raining. And can you imagine after a day of rain, two days of rain, maybe it wasn't so bad, but then it kept raining and then the, the waters from the deep began to come up into the earth and suddenly everybody began to realize after days and days of rain, there's nowhere to go. This is not stopping. And suddenly this ark is floating. It's no longer static on the ground. It's floating. And now they want to get on the ark because they realize this is the only place to get saved. But there's no way of getting into it. Can you imagine? It must have been terrible. It must have been a terribly destructive thing. So why did God do it? Because the Bible says that the heart of man was exceedingly evil. And he purposed, whatever he purposed in his heart, he did it. And you can say to yourself, but that's not me. I'm not an exceedingly evil person. Yes, you are. Without Jesus, you are. And if you didn't have Jesus, you would be. The only reason that, the only thing that stops humanity from descending into one big cesspool of crime and self-indulgence more than it is already is the fact that the Holy Spirit is present on the earth because Jesus died on the cross. And there are some things that yet have to be fulfilled by prophecy. This is a lesson for us because Jesus says that before the event that is going to call an end to the time of the church, and I'm going to refer to it as that, Rather than the end of the age, I'm going to refer to it as the end of the time of the church. Okay? Until the time comes when it's the end of the time of the church, people are not actually going to take God seriously. They're not going to take God seriously. And the Holy Spirit is here to prevent more than the, the crime that is happening on the earth. It's only not escalating. I mean... Whatever control there is on the earth, it's because the church is here. And the Holy Spirit uses the prayers of the church to hold back the absolute, complete takeover of crime and immorality and evil and sin on the whole earth. But uh, with the advent of the technology growth that is happening throughout the earth, it's becoming more and more... Uh, Acceptable, and it's easier for sin to be everywhere all at once. So you can get a dictator making a decision in China to allow an experiment to happen on biological warfare as to what would the impact of a pandemic be on the earth and... Uh, altered genetic viruses that can destroy certain huma human uh, capabilities, let's see what this has on the earth. Well, you might say, well, did the, 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 the Communist Party of China decide to do that? Probably. Probably. If someone wanted to find a way of controlling the earth and he, he was being manipulated by 
a, a spiritual force that saw the only way of the future is to control all of humanity, to, to, to control the church. Look, he tried, to do, he tried to control the future of the world by killing Jesus. And the Bible says that if they had known what would be the outcome of killing Jesus, they would never have killed him. But they couldn't see what the outcome would be, so they killed Jesus. So you think he's going to stop there? He's coming after the Jesus lookalikes, the Christians, the church. He's not going to stop until there's no more church on the earth. He's going to go after the church. So, do you think he worries much about the church that's weak and ineffective and inefficient? He doesn't have to worry about them. They shut up all by themselves. They do. They don't want to talk about Jesus. They don't want to live like Jesus. They want to live like everybody else lives. They want to eat and drink and marry and give in marriage. And they want to continue like there's no other future that's necessary other than eating, drinking, and behaving like everybody else behaves. So as long as I'm successful in the system, I don't really care about my church life. I'll do church on the side because I need to. I'll just do church on the side. It's an insurance card for me. I'll do church. But for the rest, I'm going to make my own way in life. So the devil doesn't have to worry about people like that because he's already got them following their own desires, their own will, making choices for themselves. And you know how those Christians appease their conscience? They say, Lord, lead us, please. And then they go ahead and do what they want to do anyway. Come on. And so then, and so you think the devil bothers and worries about those people? He doesn't worry about them. They're already making themselves gods. The people the devil's most concerned about are those people that have decided to follow God with all their heart, all their heart, with all their life, with everything, and he tries to stop them. I firmly believe that the scripture in Romans where it says, where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. It's because God makes much more grace available through the Christians on the earth that have chosen to make the grace available through prayer, through life, through giving themselves to God. That's how he makes the grace available. Jesus goes on and he says, so then two men, so will the Son of Man be, the coming of the Son of Man be, then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left, two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and the other left. Watch therefore, for you not, do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. If I had known that I would get a traffic fine, I would have not speeded. Right? No. It's because you don't know that you do speed. So we need to have a greater strength in our lives than ourselves. Don't we? Therefore, you also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So that's how I ended the message last week. I said, it doesn't really matter to me what theological perspective you have. 
what level of pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib, whatever trib you want to talk about, tribulation, post-millennial, pre-millennial, mid-millennial, whatever millennial doctrine you have, doesn't really matter to me if I'm living my life every day as one that is expecting and fully living for Jesus, then I'm not going to be the one that's going to get caught out. If he takes me, I'm, I'm there already. In spirit, I'm there. It would be a surprise to me, me personally, it would be a surprise to me if I got left behind. Huh? He goes on to say, and he talks about the faithful servant and the evil servant. That's verse 45. And then he goes into the next chapter. And I want you just to see chapter 24 and 25 as one sermon. He talks about the wise and the foolish virgins. And then from verse 14 onwards in chapter 25, he talks about the parable of the talents. And then... He goes on to talk about, in verse 31, the Son of Man will judge the nations. He'll take the sheeps, sheep nations and he'll put them on his right and the goat nations and he'll put them on his left and judgment will occur. And then he talks about, and then the, the, at the end of it, there's a plot to kill Jesus and then there's the, the story of the anointing of Jesus at Bethany and Depending on how Lord leads us to talk about all of these things, uh, I will share it with you because I believe that there is, God is going to be doing a, a really supernatural work for us in our health, in our finances, in our relationships, and the things that, that are important to God and important to us to fulfill what God has called us to do. He's going to restore these things to us. And he's going to do it now. He's going to do it now because we've got a job to do for him. And this is a season where we've got to live for him, not for ourselves. And so today, I mean, hasn't it been wonderful? Hasn't it been wonderful that we are, uh, uh, that, that we are having such awesome sound and song? So I'm, I, I'm going to just minister what I can today. I'm not going to minister all of what I could have done. I'm going to focus for a moment on the parable of the virgins. And so he goes on to say, chapter 25, verse 1, Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their, their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now, five of them were wise and five were foolish. Do you see that Jesus was talking about one will be in the field, two will be in the field, one will go and one will be left. Two will be grinding meal, one will go and one will be left. I'll tell you what, just because you're married to a Christian doesn't mean to say you're going to heaven. And if you're married to someone that's dedicated to God, and you're not doesn't mean to say you're going to heaven because your partner is dedicated to God. Your walk with God is a personal, individual walk with God. Personal. You can't piggyback your way into heaven. 
You know, there's that old saying, he got grandfathered into a position. You know, in other words, someone nurtured him and take, took care of him and grandfathered him into a place. Someone was watching out for him. Someone was taking care of him. You can't grandfather your way into the, into the grace of God. You have to apply the grace of God for yourself. You have to live in faith and the love of God for yourself. Which is why I, I have an accurate understanding, Pastor Sharon and I, in our walk with God, we have an accurate understanding that she can't pray my prayers for me. She can pray for me, but she can't pray my prayers for me. That I'm supposed to pray before God. She can't do what I'm called to do. She can't do those things for me. I have to do those things for God. My sons are not going to heaven because they are my natural born sons. I'll tell you, it was a real, it was a real thing for me when my, my, my sons were growing up and I realized that the potential exists that they will grow up with my weakness. Because whatever my behavior pattern was out of fear and unbelief, they would adopt it. Because they don't adopt it by words that you speak, they adopt things by behavior that you live. Only the grace of God and the intervention of God could change it, which is where the church comes into play. I, uh, I have said it many times, and sometimes when this comes out of my mouth, and I know Pastor Sharon says it a number of, has said it a number of times. It feels really strange to say this. But I'll tell you, all of the men of God that are, that are our faith generals, our spiritual leaders, have said it more times than I've said it. You do not make a decision for income or money or a career or an education based on geographic location or what's best for you, you make a decision for your life based on the church that God has called you to. That's right. And sometimes you have to change geographic location to get to the church that God has called you to because that's the way God works. Well, why is it so important, Pastor John, what church you call to? Let me put it to you this way. What if this pastor standing on this stage was supposed to be connected to Jerry Savelle? And 15 years ago or 20 years ago, I got offended by something Jerry Savelle said or did to me. Or I disagreed with something that he did or disagreed with something that he taught. And I became offended with it. And I said, you know, it's not that important to be connected to one person. I can be connected to other people. And so then I just, because of offense, I walked away from Jerry Savelle and I just connected with other people because I got offended. Or I didn't like what he said about how to live your life in God. I got offended and I started connecting with other preachers. I wonder where we would be. It is quite possible that I wouldn't be in the ministry today. 
It is quite possible that I might not even be married to Pastor Sharon today. Because being out of the will of God that way allows the devil to come in and to steal, kill, and to destroy all kinds of things in my life because I blatantly disobeyed God as to who I'm called to. And consequently, who I'm called with. So we are all called together. Pastor John, people come and go from church all the time. So this is a normal thing with Christians. They come and go from church all the time, and they, they move to this city for a job, and they go to that place for a career, and they get a job opportunity there or some, some uh, you know, uh, uh, new on, entrepreneurial opportunity, some new job thing comes up, and so they move to another town, and, and there's better schools in that town or better places in that town than in this town, and so they leave, they leave churches all the time, Christians, leave churches all the time for all manner of reasons. So why shouldn't we? Well, that's what happened in the days of Noah. This guy that preaches, you have to be connected to a church that God's called you to? I mean, he's a bit crazy. Doesn't he understand that life is, worth, is, a, is, a, is about a lot more choices? You know, he's a, he's, he's a bit radical. You shouldn't listen to that. He's a little bit radical. Well, you know, you can think like that, but I've, I've, watched, I've watched many, many people's lives take a different turn. And things happen in their lives and, and nobody, nobody will actually put it down to the fact that years ago they made a wrong choice out of the will of God. They made a human choice. And so... 5, 10, 15 years later, things are happening in their lives and they want to say, well, how come this happened to me? So, now five of them were wise, these virgins, and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. Please, please join me in recognizing that they were all virgins. So this is a category of people. So let's use it. This is a category of people that in human terms would be called innocent, pure, untouched. Yes? Yes? So if you're a born-again Christian, are you innocent, pure, and untouched? Because your spirit, man, is born again. You are righteous. You are perfect in your spirit, washed by the blood of Jesus. Washed by the blood. So if we all put ourselves, all of us, in that category of purity... We can do that. So they're all virgins and they all have oil. They all have lamps and they all have oil. They all have the same things at their disposal to prepare for an event that's coming. Some of them said, you know, we don't know when the bridegroom's coming, so we're going to take some extra oil with us. 
So they prepared ahead of time for what could happen. The other virgins said, we've got a lamp. It holds so much oil. We're in the right category of people. We don't need to take anything more. But a delay occurred. And then when suddenly the bridegroom came and it took longer than expected, the ones that didn't prepare with extra oil, they suddenly realized he could be delayed beyond our level. And so according to Jewish custom, the bridegroom would need to see the burning lamp to know that you're available waiting for him to come and fetch you. The, the, the bride-to-be would display the lamp. Typically, they would put it in a house in the window and the bridegroom would come and fetch his bride and engage in a ceremony of marriage. It was a sign that she's waiting for him. So in this case, the burning lamp was essential. No burning lamp, no sign to the bridegroom that you are the one that he's coming for. So that's why there's this whole panic about we don't have enough oil. So the ones who say we don't have enough oil turn to the ones that have got more oil and say, give us some of your oil. And they say, no, no, we are here for the bridegroom, not for you. You should have prepared ahead of time for what's coming. So they make a decision amongst themselves, all five of them, let's go and buy for ourselves more oil. And while they're gone to go and buy more oil, the bridegroom arrives. So their timing was wrong. Their preparation was wrong, therefore their timing was wrong. So a couple of things I want to just say to you today. The one thing is, you know, Brother Jerry's not Jesus. I mean, I know it sounds very nice, Jerry, John, and Jesus. You know, and I'm happy to be in that category but um, with those guys but, and with my Lord. But, you know, Jerry is not Jesus. But Brother Jerry is our spiritual leader. He watches over my soul and he watches over us as a people. He's coming in the beginning of February. It's prudent for us to prepare. And this weekend was about preparation. It's prudent for us to prepare our hearts, our spirit. It's, pr it's prudent for us to take leave and be here to prepare our hearts as much as we can, be available to receive and participate in what God is bringing to us. In other words, we're topping up with oil now so when he comes that we are not low on oil and running around doing business out there and running around doing last-minute deals out there while we should be in church. Because, you know, we're setting up our schedule to accommodate you as much as we can so that we have meetings in the afternoons and the evenings and on the weekends, we, we're going to have all-day church, Saturday, Sunday. And uh, we're going to have church, last church services on Monday afternoon and evening. But, uh, you know, if I had my way, 
I would, I would have church all day, every day, from the day that he arrives. Because to run around doing business in the daytime and then come and you say, well, what about the kids doing school? You think that they're going to actually uh, fail because they've given God five days? Hey? You think their whole lives are going to fall apart because they missed school for three days? But you don't understand. I never missed school when I was a kid and my kids never missed school. Well, that seems to be an institution for you. It seems to be almost a religious law to you. I wonder what would it be to break it for God? You think it would be uncomfortable for you? Probably. You think it would be worthwhile? Definitely. What kind of thing do you think it will tell your kids that you prepare to do? You prepare to put everything on hold to go after God. Well, I don't see you doing that. No, you weren't around when our kids were little. And you don't know that I, I put all manner of incentive trips. I gave it back to the company and requested, if it's possible, that we take that money and use it for trips that we would take our kids with us and go overseas to conferences where the word was preached rather than have Sharon and I go with a bunch of people to five-star hotels at places like the Cayman Islands or the Hayman Islands in Australia and ski holidays in Europe and all kinds of places that would be very nice for us, but that wasn't where my focus was. My focus was on God, and I wanted more of God. And so we took that money and used it and took our kids with us, and we went to church for weeks at a time. That's what we did. I think I've got to move along here. So, but while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. It's a thing that happens to Christians, you know, is that there are things that can cause us to be in a place of uh, fatigue, if you like. But if you've got oil burning, you won't miss out. It's only when you've got too little oil. In other words, too little relationship, intimate, meaningful relationship with the Holy Spirit that you will run out. So they were all slumbering. They all were sleeping. And at midnight, a cry was heard. That means someone was awake. Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should, be, should not be enough for us and you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. While they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterwards, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. 
But he answered and he said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Well, what I said last week applies the same. Are you ready? If I'm living in a state of readiness with my walk with God, I'm, I'm focused on the Word, I'm focused on my life with God, I'm living daily for the will of God to be done in my life and in your life. That's my assignment. If I'm focused on that daily, then I'll be ready. I'm ready every day. I'm ready for Him to say anything to me. So how do you know when that day is coming, Pastor John, I don't. I don't know. I got reading through you to you that the angels don't know. Jesus doesn't know. Only God the Father knows what the end of time is going to be. I can look at all kind of signs around me, and I can wonder at them. My job is to stay prepared and ready. My job is to have my, my Holy Ghost oil filled up. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. My job is to be wise and not be foolish. So what does a wise person, what does a wise Christian look like in our modern day world? What does a wise Christian look like? So, you know, you might say to me, Pastor John, I think I'm wise because I manage my money very carefully. I do come to church regularly. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I even tithe. And, uh, and I consider myself to have my life in order. Well, that's standard practice for every virgin. You haven't told me anything yet that tells me you're ready. Come on, don't, please, don't get too quiet on me here this morning. I mean, you're allowed to say amen, amen. and I know you're still awake and not slumbering and sleeping, for just now I'm going to cometh and jump off the stage and come and shout at you and see if you're awake. So how? So how then do we, how then do we say that we are ready? Well, I might ask you to say, well, what is your attitude towards the church? What is the attitude that you have towards other Christians in the church? What is it that you are, what kind of gods are you serving for you that are important to you more than what God says you should be doing. You know, and I'm going to close now as I, as I did last week, and I'm going to close with the same advice that I gave last week. And yes, I do listen to my own messages over and over again because I consider myself to be a vessel that the Holy Spirit uses to bring forth messages to you. And if I then am believe that about what God's called me to do, then I should listen to my own messages 
and have messages that God can minister to my own spirit, man, through the same word. As I listen to Brother Jerry and I listen to Pastor Sharon and others that I listen to, I am determined to be in a state of readiness. Amen. Amen. And so I finish with this. You'll hear it. My whole life is based on this. My whole life is based on this. How do you destroy or how do you build a good marriage? One day at a time. How do you destroy a marriage? One day at a time. And so, how do you prepare yourself to be ready for God? Well, one day at a time. You have to live one day at a time. You've got to live in faith now. You've got to live in the Word now, every day, every day. That means that you've got to make decisions every day that is God-based, not self-based. Because if you're making decisions that are based on your plan for your life, then your plan will dominate everything that you think God's got planned for you. You want to test it? Do you want to test it? I'll tell you what you do. Take all your plans, scratch through it, and say, I'm not going ahead with any of my plans. I'm going to wait until God speaks. See if you can do that. See if you can do that. But Pastor John, that's just not wise to live like that. Really? Well, who tells you what's wise? Well, surely people have got to live life with a plan. Nobody lives life without a plan. You've got to have plans. Come on, everybody's got to have a plan. Mm. So how do you know whether your plan is a God plan? Huh? How do you know whether your plan is a God plan? I can tell you how you can measure yourself. Just take stock of your life and see how much time you spend every day asking God what He wants you to do this day as opposed to what you prepared to plan for this day. Keith Moore I listened to a message by Keith Moore when he was in the early years of his ministry, and uh, he was just transitioning. He was doing some work for Raymer Kenneth Hagen at the Bible school, and uh, he, was, he was running his own traveling ministry at that time, and the majority of his income had now transitioned from being at Raymer to his own traveling ministry. And uh, he was getting to the last quarter of the year, the last three months of the year, and he had no speaking engagements. If you're in a traveling ministry and you have no speaking engagements for three months, then that's a quarter of your year you don't have income coming in. So he went to the Lord about it and he said, Lord, I've got no speaking engagements. What's happening? He said, I want you to prepare to have no speaking engagements at the last quarter of the year, I want you to trust me. He said, well, that's all good for you to say. He said, but isn't that what you're teaching the other people? To trust God? He said, yes. So he said, trust me. 
I want you to have no plans to preach. Huh. So he went to his wife, Phyllis, and he said, Phyllis, I want to tell you what the Lord told me. He said, I must have, make no plans to preach in the last quarter of the year. She said, you know what that means? No income. He said, I know. He said, but God wants me to trust him. Come on. Do you see where God was showing him that he was busy putting his trust in his ability to make speaking arrangements rather than trusting God without speaking arrangements? God was showing him that he was busy creating an idol. He was creating a God. Some preachers might say that's a noble God he's just created. There's nothing noble about it. Either you trust God or you don't. So, he proceeded to virtually shut down his ministry and keep paying people, staff, staff, the few staff members that he had, pay salaries, pay rent, pay whatever he had to pay for the three months. And a couple of weeks into the three months, he got a check from someone that just decided, just decided by the Holy Spirit they wanted to bless him. And so they sent him a check, and that amount of that check took care of three months' worth of living expenses. And God said, see? See? You need to make all your plans to live, or can you trust me to live? But Pastor John, that's a pastor. That's easy for a pastor to do. Okay. You think it's easy for you to shut down your source of income? I mean, if you just look at it from a business, say, I'm not going to do any products. I'm not going to do any sales. I'm not going to do anything for three months. I'm just going to wait on God. How easy is that to do, MP? That's not going to be easy for a business like yours. Eh? No. I mean, I'm just trying to tell you, you think it's easy for a preacher to do that? It's not so easy. You're a lawyer, a doctor, someone who sells on time. Shut your business for three months and see how that works for you. Well, how am I going to do that? Well, you know, he was obeying the Holy Spirit. I'm really trying to indicate to you how, how, what kind of God are you building? What kind of God are you serving? Is it the working God, the busyness God, the God that says I've got to provide for myself, or are you ready to put your hands in the hand of God? Well, what's this all about? The one is, I've got a lamp, I've got oil in it, I don't need more than that, I'm ready and I'm set to go when the bridegroom comes. Really? Why don't you make time for God, give Him the extra that you've got, so that you are ready in your spirit to face what God's got coming? Amen. Praise the Lord. You know, some people might say to be a virgin waiting for a bridegroom is a privileged position. I would say it is. I certainly believe that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is in a privileged position. We already have salvation. We already have the Holy Spirit. We already have eternal, eternal salvation. We already have 
a measure of security in our lives because we know who the living God is. But there is more to this than just being a born-again Christian. And remember, I go back to this thing that the biggest, the biggest thing that is going to come back and bite us is do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. So what does deception look like? The deception is that we can live like everybody else lives and we pat ourselves on the back because we live like everybody else and we live and we've made decisions that live at the highest possible level that everybody else lives at. At the smallest percentile of people, we are achievers. We are successful. We've made it happen. We, we, me, I, me, we, me, I, I made it happen. We did it. We are so smart. We are so good at it. We are so careful in our planning. We were so diligent in what we did to make it happen. We executed it to perfection. We are so smart. Shame on those poor people who didn't quite get it right that we got it right. God says, that kind of behavior is lukewarm because you pat yourself on the back for being a Christian, but you pat yourself on the back because you made it happen. So who do you give glory to, God or me? Don't make me choose. They're equally important to me. Not to God. He says, you find yourself in that situation, I'll spit you out of my mouth. Because you're neither hot nor cold, you just carry on. Those kind of virgins get left behind. They don't make it. Okay. I think I've stood on enough toes today. It was really, Lord, you don't know what happens to me when I go home from here. I got to fight with the devil who comes to my mind. And he says, you overstepped your mark with people today. They're not coming back next week because you, you stood on their toes so bad. And then surprise, surprise, I tell the devil to shut up, go away. I'm called to do this, and then next week you all show up anyway. That tells me that you like it. (laughs) Yeah, when you signed up for this church, you didn't sign up for a wishy-washy pastor. You signed up for a pastor that's going to speak the truth to you in love, in love. I'm going to speak the truth to you in love, and I won't quit. Hallelujah. Glory to Jesus. Praise the Lord. Thank you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to Jesus. 
Praise the Lord. Yeah, the truth will save us, saves our souls, it saves all of us all the time. And uh, I thank God that we have the truth of God's word that we can live by. Yeah. Praise the Lord. One of the reasons, one of the reasons God brought me to be with Brother Jerry, Brother Copeland, and all these wonderful men of God that have followed God all their lives is because I heard a sound of the truth of God's word. I heard a sound that when I was desperate to have the God difference in my life, I heard the same uncompromising truth that came through them to me. I was talking to someone at, yeah, at church after last Sunday's meeting, and they were just saying to me, you know, sometimes when we listen to you, we can hear Brother Jerry and Brother Copeland, the sound of them coming out of your mouth. I said, thank God for that. I would, be more into, I, would be, I would find it more difficult if you didn't hear anything of them coming out of my mouth, because then that means everything they've been teaching for all these years hasn't really changed me. I hope you hear just about everything that comes out of their mouth coming out of my mouth. Yeah. Hallelujah. This is not a time in our lives to play games. Let me tell you, your life is at stake. Your children's life is at stake. Your grandchildren's lives are at stake. There's a lot at stake here because God has got us positioned here. In this nation, in this time, connected the way that we are connected because we are the people that God has called to make a difference. And if we can't preach the truth, then who's going to preach the truth? And so we have to do it. Won't you stand with me, please? We have an hour left before there is message moments at 12.30, and then 2 o'clock, chariots will be ready to ride. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Won't you put your hand on your heart and make this declaration with me and say, I am a child of God. Jesus lives in my heart. I love Jesus because Jesus first loved me. I thank you, Lord, that I'm going to heaven and I'm ready. I will always be ready for the moment when you call me. And whatever that time is, I'll be ready in Jesus' name. Until then, I live as a son of God, in the kingdom of God, for the kingdom of God, on this earth, in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, a number of you have already gone on holiday and come back, but there's some that are leaving today, I know even, and some leaving tomorrow and different times, and I just want to pray, if you'll agree with me, that as you travel, the Word of God goes before you. He sends His angels ahead of you to protect you. No weapon that is formed against you will prosper, and that you will even be uh, aware of something before it happens. And you will be led by the Holy Spirit to prevent you from having any danger happening to you. Amen. You will be blessed going out of your home and you'll be blessed coming into your home. And you'll find nothing missing and nothing broken when you come back. 
And everything that you do is blessed in Jesus' name. Glory to God. You will be blessed in your rest. You will have peace. You will have joy. And you will hear from God what He has for your future. Do you agree with this prayer? Everybody said? Christmas. I see you. Christmas. Caspius. Kom gereed. Om geskenke te kry en geskenke te gee. Amen.